Well, this morning we want to bring um, our little mini-series to a close, if you will. We've been going through Advent, of course, and Christmas, um, Christmas Eve, and, and this morning we're still celebrating Christmas. That's why I ask us to say Merry Christmas to each other, because Christmas still is going on, whether we know it or not, whether we practice it or not. We're still in the Christmas season. It hadn't ended yet. Yes, we celebrated the birth of the Savior on Christmas Day. But, you know, it continues. And, and as we looked at our resource that we had, the um, Living the Christian Year by Bobby Gross, you know, it's a great resource. And, and that's why I learned about this years ago as I was kind of going through this and learning more about the church calendar and so on and so forth. And I, I'd like to read to you just a little excerpt from where he begins, where we're going to be going today, talking about the word became flesh. Let me, let me read his intro to this particular part of the book. In a fitting conjunction, we celebrate January 1st as New Year's Day and also as the Feast of the Holy Name, commemorating the naming of Jesus eight days after birth. The word who spoke the world into being is assigned a linguistic configuration of sounds and symbols within that world. He is named Jesus, as the, angels had, as the angel had instructed. The word becomes flesh. The divine takes on human. The ineffable is named. This is the mystery of the incarnation. Yet the marvel goes even deeper. He is made man that we might become God, wrote St. Anastasius in the 4th century. A great exchange, what we just heard. He becomes like us, that we might become like him. In these remaining days of Christmas tide, we contemplate this deep mystery, Christmas. You know, fact of the matter is, it's almost January, and life is about to come back to normal for many of us. Christmas is over. You know, we've taken down the tree, put up the lights, you know, got all the wrapping paper in the trash bags and got them sitting out at the curb waiting for the trash man to come, hopefully on time tomorrow or the next day. You know, so we've, we've kind of let go of that. And I, and I encourage us that maybe we don't want to let go so soon. You know, even as we're assembled here today, you know, some of us are tired, some of us are about worn out, some of us have had too much family, too much food, too much sugar, too much alcohol, or not alcohol, too much of whatever. <laughs> and we find ourselves kind of running in here on empty. Anybody, anybody can um, relate to what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, those that want to admit it. And, and even coming in this morning on a rainy day, you know, I have to be honest with you, you know, um, just early this morning as the worship team assembled and as I came in early as my custom is on days that I'm preaching, you know, it was raining hard, kind of hard. It didn't have to rain too hard, just rain a little bit, you know. I get out my car, I get wet. You know, I walk in, go in the bathroom, find out that I cut my neck, messed up my shirt, I had to go back home, get another shirt. You know, so I came in here just kind of aggravated, a little perturbed, a little frustrated. Then we got in here, and I was watching the worship team as they practiced, and, and you know, some things were a little off. The first service, you should have been here the first service. It was, really, it was really interesting, you know. Things didn't work. The video didn't work that we saw just a minute ago. Some of the slides didn't come up on the songs. And, you know, if we're not careful... In our rush to get away from Christmas, we can miss the blessing that was given to us. We can lose sight of the fact that the story of Christmas is really is all about 
the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We can lose that. We can lose sight of that real quickly if we're not careful. See, we can all forget about what it was that just happened a couple of days ago. What was it that we were celebrating? And what does it all mean? And that's a question that we want to wrestle with this morning for a few minutes. It's a question that the church needs to ask. What is it about this word becoming flesh? What is it about this Savior being born? What is this all about? And what does it mean to me? And how do I need to put it into action? We're going to look at this Christmas story yet one more time. Oh, I saw the look on some of y'all face again. We're going to talk about Christmas story again. One more time. Yes, we are. But this time, this time in our looking at the story, it's John who's going to lead us through the story. John, we're going to let explain to us this story of Christmas. You know, many have said that John is probably the most gifted of the four gospel writers in his way with words. You know, he has the largest vocabulary. He has the most soaring and elaborate of poetic strokes as he reflects on the meaning of the birth of Christmas, the birth of Christ, I should say. John is the one who starts his gospel different than the rest. Because you see, as you turn to John in your Bibles, you will see that you don't see anything about the story of an angel on the hillside. You don't see virgin birth. You don't see anything about mention of the name of the town near, in the country of Galilee. Apparently, John, you know, is unaware of shepherds keeping watch over the flock by night, awakened by heavenly choruses. John didn't write anything about any of that. He must not know anything about these kings that came from the east, keeping watch over their flock by night, awakened by heavenly choruses. He, 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 he must didn't know that. He didn't know anything about them seeing a star in the sky and follow it to an end at the end of the world. Because John messages, the word became flesh. John tells this story different. He takes a different perspective, and he starts much earlier than all the others. He starts with, in the beginning was the word. That's how John starts his Christ story. In the beginning was the word. And he, when he says in the beginning, he means the beginning of time. Not the beginning of a lineage. Not begin, beginning of the faith. He goes all the way back to the beginning of time. As we read the words as John starts his gospel, I don't know about you, but it reminds me of the beginning of the book itself. You know, Genesis 1-1. Turn with me there. See if this kind of connects in any way. Because if we return to, John, to Genesis 1-1, you know, it starts out, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it goes on to talk about how as God looked out on space and saw this enormous void of nothingness. Bishop Roller, several weeks ago, painted this picture for us with his language and with his style and with his delivery. How he looked out on space and saw this enormous void of nothingness before anything was created. And you know the story. God spoke, things became. The word that John writes about, the word was with, with God even then. This word that John writes about in his gospel was with God. In fact, 
if the truth be told, nothing was made in all of the universe without this word that John speaks of that was with God in the beginning. And we know, we have a sense that because of the way John speaks, this strange way he has of telling this story, that this word, this word is not some ordinary word. It's not our usual word that we have. It's something different about this word that John speaks of. As you're looking at your Bible in John 1, 1 through 14, you see that word keeps creeping up, keeps popping up. And it's something different about this word. It's not the word as you and I know the word. As a matter of fact, when we look at the way this word translates into the Greek, we see that it has a meaning called, it's called logos, logos. And if we want to define it, it says that word means the divine wisdom manifests in the creation, government, and redemption of the world, and often identified with the second person of the Trinity. That's a, that's a dictionary definition of logos. And John says this word, this word that we see defined on this screen, this word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. This word, this word that came, that God spoke to create everything that we see, that we know that nothing could be created without this word. This word became flesh. That's what we're celebrating during this Christmas season. This word becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory. I love the worship song that they were singing earlier about his glory. Just kind of fits this message. I love it when God just kind of matches stuff together. You know, there's a far better job than I could ever do. You know, I just come in here and they singing this song. I say, oh man, God, you, you're right on time, God. Because what a song, what a powerful song. You know, Matthew, Matthew, when he told the story, he gives us a genealogy for Jesus dating back to Abraham. We see that in Matthew 1, 1 through 16. Luke, Luke, he, he traces it all the way back from Jesus to Adam. You see that in Luke 3, 23 through 36. In the other gospel, Mark, Mark didn't know, he must not knew too much about the story because he don't say nothing about it at all. Doesn't even mention it, Jesus' origins. But John, John wants us to know that before all time, there was a word in God's mind. If there's such a thing as God's mind, there was a word. There was a word. And the word that John speaks of is more about action than it is just Talk. As a matter of fact, let's, let's go there. Let's read what John wrote. Let's, let's read it. Are y'all up for reading it out loud together? Is anybody up for that? Okay. Is it more than four people in here up for that? Are you up for that? Okay, then all right. Oh, you, you ready to get on with it? Okay, okay, all right, all right. Let's do it. Let's read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
It goes on. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Man, somebody ought to just be a little bit happy about that right there. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word. That's a good word. You know, I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases that last verse that we read, verse 14. Look, look how he says it. The word became flesh. Oh, oh if we, yeah, we can switch to that. The next one, I believe. The next slide. Yeah, there we go. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Stop right there. See, see, sometimes we can be reading it, and, and John has written it out in his poetic way, He's got a way of writing it that just kind of grabs our attention. Sometimes I don't understand it, but it just sounds good to me, you know. It's a, you know, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that because sometimes it, it, it hits me into my soul, you know. It passes my intellect and it goes down into my soul. And I, I, can't all, I can't really comprehend it all and justify it all. I can't really make sense of it in the moment, but I know it's good. But Peterson got a way of paraphrasing it. It kind of, for old country boy from Mississippi like me, it, it kind of brings it home to me. I love the way he says this, this 14th verse. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I believe John was inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit to write these words and we hear them today. And John, if he was speaking to us right now, he would want us to know something that most of us have trouble believing. And that something is simply this, that God really cares about us. That he is concerned for us. God wants us to know him. He does not want us to be strangers. And in fact, God has taken the initiative and took on flesh to dwell amongst us. Isn't that a powerful thought? That's what John wants us to know. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the truth of the Christmas story. John was honest about this thing, too. Because as you read on, if you have your Bible still open, look over there to verse number 18. John says something very powerful. He says, no one has ever seen God. I appreciate that about John. You know, he was honest about this thing. And as he says that and he acknowledges that, it makes me think back to the Old Testament because, you know, 
Nobody ever really saw God with their human eyes. You know, we read about and we've heard about and we've heard theologians speculate that God came to Abraham as three visitors in the heat of the afternoon one day. You know, the father of our faith. But even if it's true, I don't believe it is that God was one of those that came. He was in disguise and Abraham didn't see him clearly. Isaiah, that great prophet of Advent that we've quoted almost every Sunday as we led up to Christmas and, and, and even on this day. Isaiah, Isaiah even wrote about getting a peek at the throne of God. You know how it went. I saw the Lord high lifted up. That's what he wrote. Y'all familiar with that passage? I saw the Lord high lifted up. He wanted on the right that he saw the hem of God's robe. It was so big it filled the temple. That's a lot of hem, a lot of fabric there. But even Isaiah doesn't say that he saw God. God came to Moses. You remember the burning bush experience? God knew, Moses knew he was in God's presence. He even followed the instructions to take off his shoes because he was on holy ground. But he did not get to see his face. Later on in the story of Moses on Mount Sinai, he bade God, let me see, let me see you. I just want to get a glimpse of you. I just want to see you. Oh, when we were singing that song about, you know, his glory, I, I just can't imagine. That must have been what Moses was feeling like as he saw God miraculously do things for him and his people over and over again, performing miracles and guiding them through the wilderness, that he just wanted to get a sense of his glory. He just wanted to see a little glimpse of it, and God compromised with him. He compromised with him, and he, he let him see his back. But he never let him see his face. John says, no one has ever seen God. But isn't that the truth for us today? As a matter of fact, I'll even go as far as to say that God not only hides that heavenly face from us, but sometimes it seems like he's hiding altogether. Sometimes it seems that way. You know, I don't know about you, but growing up, and you know, as you can tell by my height, that wasn't that long ago, but growing up, you know, I played those little, I had to do something to keep y'all going, y'all, y'all look like y'all getting bored. Growing up, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe some of y'all did like I did. I used to play those kind of crazy games. You know, God, if you're real, if you're real, God, make it thunder right now. <laughs> if you really exist, come on, God. I need to pass this test. Put the answer to this quiz, to this problem right in my mind right now, if you God. Silly stuff we played. But sometimes it wasn't so serious. Silly. Sometimes it was God, if you're really real, won't you save this loved one from death, Lord? John says, No one has seen God. Because, you know, God is not some divine bellboy front and center when we ring. Because God is God, and we are not. That's something important that we need to always remember. He's more elusive than our beckoning can commandeer. 
But we still feel like sometimes in the absence of God, it weighs us down. But John wants us to know something. John wants us to know that more than we realize, the Word has become flesh and it dwells amongst us. Because while no one has seen God, John was able to write clearly, the Word became flesh. And the reason why he was able to write this is because John saw Jesus. He saw Jesus in the scripture that we have up. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So that is the reason why he sent Jesus to this earth to walk on this earth 33 years and walk and feel and experience everything that we experience. He experienced loneliness. He experienced pain. He experienced frustration. He experienced disappointment. He experienced betrayal. He experienced being nursed by a mother, being raised by a father, having arguments with his brother, I suppose. You know, he experienced all of that so that he has all things in common with us so that we can have all things in common with him. That's Jesus, the word made flesh that dwelt here amongst us. So John wrote that. He wrote that. Now, we have to be for real. Because I know what's in some of our minds in here. Because every now and then it runs through my mind. I've never seen Jesus. Okay, John wrote this. And I understand that. But you know, that's over 2,000 years ago. And whatever there was once of him is no longer here. It's gone. And if you think like that now, or have ever thought like that, I need to say to you in no uncertain terms, that is not so. That is not the truth. Because you see, that baby that was lying in the manger, he grew up to become a young man. He grew up to call those disciples unto himself. He grew up to perform miracles all over the countryside. He grew up to proclaim this kingdom at hand. And he grew up to be betrayed by his very own. He grew up to be crucified on a cross, to be buried in a borrowed tomb. But then, thank God, see, we can't have, you know, we think about Christmas, but it points us to Easter the day that he came out of the grave with all power in his hand. And he ascended back into heaven and he left us something. He left us the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, which is how we see him even today. But it's like the sun that shines. You know, you say, I, I, I kind of get what you're saying, Derek, but I'm still going to stay on this point. I haven't seen Jesus. And I say, that's not true because we see him everywhere and in everything and everybody all around us. The problem is, if we're too much of a hurry, if we're too agitated and too irritated and too ready to leave this whole story, we'll miss him as he walks by, as he's sitting next to us, as he's operating all around us. You see, seeing Jesus now in our reality 
It's somewhere like looking at the sun because you see the sun is so bright that if we look at it directly for too long of a time, it will burn our eyes. So we have to look at it by what it illuminates. I'll give you an example. I'm not much of a beach person, but we go from time to time. When I go there, I have a great time. My favorite time, though, is early in the morning. I love to go out on the beach. And something spectacular happens as you watch the sun rise. And when it dips its head right above the horizon, glory appears. Anybody ever seen that before? Anybody seen that? Oh, yeah. See, that's Jesus. See, I didn't recognize him sometimes, but that's him. As I watched that sun rise, and it's, it's, that, it's that small mirror of time, that's a window of time, when it's first rising, when everything is calm. And it's like when it, especially on those days when it's just that great big ball. I had the opportunity, the blessing to see it in Africa, the sunrise. And, you know, they got a saying in Africa that the sun is more beautiful in Africa than anywhere else in the world. And I'm going to tell you, I, after being there, I, I, I tend to agree. It's something about that sun rising. And, and, and it just illuminates everything around it, and you get a sense of his glory. That's seeing Jesus. Of course, when I'm too busy, when I'm too frustrated, when I'm too perturbed, when I'm too tired because I'm running myself on empty, I miss that. I don't see that. But it's there. The Greek poet Homer called it the rosy-fingered dawn. He is there. He's there indirectly. He's there indirectly in the birth of a child. Not a child born in Bethlehem, but a child born to many of you in this room. You know how it was when you first looked down on that child. Some of you have your older children with you right now. I, I invite you to just take a glance at them. Remember what it was like when they were there in that hospital room, when they brought that child to you. Your own love, your miracle of miracles, wonder of wonders, the intricate, it was, it, was, it was a creation of fingers and toes, eyes and nose, hair and skin, a being whose life and destiny is all mystery beyond our understanding. And when you look down, how many of you can testify you could feel the glory of God as you look down on that child. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I see some, I see some mothers smiling in the room. Yeah, you could feel the presence of the Lord as you look down and you saw that child. That's Jesus. That's a glimpse of Jesus. Sometimes lost. Sometimes lost in our broken state, in this broken world, in our broken situations. But no matter how painful the situations are, that birth seems to bring on his glory. He's really there, you know. We can touch and see. We can touch and see him in a few cans of soup, some cereal, and juice piled into a basket for a needy family. A needy family that has nothing to survive on, who is so grateful that somebody took the time to come and share with them. Have you, ever, have you ever been around people who were less fortunate than you? 
And when you get out of your way, not go out of your way, just take the time. The more able, looking after the less able until they can get back on their feet. There's something about that. Jesus, we see Jesus in that. Not long ago, you know, we got news at Highland Community Church, our sister church that we partnered with on many occasions. You know, they had, they had robbed two nights in a row. People came in and stole all the food and all the baskets they had been preparing for the families that they blessed every Christmas. But Jesus showed up. Because when that word got out, do you not know in a matter of hours people in this community replaced everything and then some? That was Jesus. That was Jesus. But see, if we're not careful, we'll miss it. If we're too busy, if we're too involved in our own devices and our own ways, if we're too addicted to our own pornography, our own alcohol, our own drugs, our own sex, if we're too predicted, too commit, connected with that stuff, we'll miss that. The news will go right over. It'll come and go, and we'll never know about it. On Christmas morning, right here in this, in this very sanctuary, some people took the time to prepare meals for those who don't have family that they can go be with. And I wasn't here, but I understand that there were people with tears in their eyes grateful that somebody took it. That, that was Jesus. See, we can say, I've never seen Jesus, but I believe we would be telling, we would, that would not be true if we would only slow down and look. We see him in the counseling room. In the counseling room where the couple have started, their marriage challenged by struggles to communicate openly with one another, their lives drifting apart, less on the same path than when they first fell in love. But by making discoveries about the people they are and the dreams that they still share, the fears that sometimes halt them at night, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up as they grow closer to one another again, as they learn to speak the truth in love. Now, I know what some might be thinking. Well, the counseling session didn't go so well, and the marriage still flamed out. But you know, if we just hang on and we keep the faith, I'm telling you, Jesus will still show up. The Word will still become flesh, and the Word will still dwell amongst you. I saw it in a wedding not long ago. I saw it when a bride was walked down the aisle by a biological father and a stepfather. I'd never seen that before in all my life. I saw it as this family, which was once broken by divorce and anger and bitterness, came together for a wedding of a daughter, and everybody was joyous, and the occasion was festive. And oh, when the question was asked, who gives this woman to be married to this man, when I saw a biological father and a stepfather both, kiss her on the cheek, and together say, we do. Jesus. That was Jesus that showed up. You know, as I'm talking, I know Holy Spirit, our prayers, is bringing to your remembrance some of those things that we have forgotten, some of those things that we've looked over, some of those things that we said, oh, that don't count, or that doesn't matter. I'm too mad to acknowledge. See, we see them in the hands of the surgeon who cut out the tumor, the physician 
who feels the pulse and hears the heart and diagnoses the unknown. Yeah, I'm looking at people right now to know what I'm talking about. Who, when they got that report, because Jesus was working through the doctor, the nurses who started the IVs, the surgeon who carefully cut their chest open and repaired what was damaged. Jesus showed up. Anybody can testify to that fact? Cancer. When you had a prognosis of just a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, and yet months have gone by and you're still here. Jesus showed up. See, Jesus shows up and sometimes in the most unlikely of places. He shows up at a rehab facility. And Jesus showed up in friends who talked to you straight and who would not let you go, who would not let you go, who kept rubbing on you until you finally got the courage to go. And Jesus showed up. He shows up, folks. I saw him show up on Christmas Day. I think it was Christmas Eve night. And as we were gathered in my home in Mississippi with my brother and sister and their children, my family, my mom and dad, he showed up. He showed up as I looked around the corner into the kitchen, and there I saw my 84-year-old mother teaching my 16, our 16-year-old daughter how to bake a cake. Jesus was there. What's the point in all of this? I'm saying to us these words that John penned, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. They apply to us in our everyday life. They apply to us in our day-to-day operation. They apply to us here this morning. And if you have trouble saying, I don't see Jesus, I think we just need to pause and remember Remember when the prognosis was not good. Remember when hope was hopeless. Remember the miracle that occurred. We hear him in the quietness of prayer. Even when all others hear silence and there's silence all around us. Because the silence have a message too, you know. Prayer. Jesus shows up. Showed up for me again this morning. As two separate couples, well, one husband of a couple and the other was a couple, let me know and just out of the blue, unexpected, just came up to me. I want you to know we prayed for you. We prayed for you this morning in this message. One person came up to me and asked me, do you mind if I pray for you right now? Just totally out of the blue. Not solicited, not asked for, not expected. You know what that is? Jesus. Jesus showing up. You may have heard at the end of the first service that this message was real short, and I know y'all might appreciate that because you're ready to go back out and get some more of that food you got stored back at home. And we're not going to take on and on and belabor the point. The worship team is going to make their way back up. Those that serve in communion is going to 
start preparing the elements. But as all that's going on, I want to share with you what an author by the name of, just hold, everybody just have, just, just, just relax, just, just, just those that serve, just prepare and prepare. But you see, John wants to know that Jesus is, God is not isolated in some eternal heaven which we will only get to see when we die someday. God is not some permeating gas in the universe. It's not some disembodied idea or philosophy. He's not a presence that got at the Big Bang and then retreated to see what would happen. John writes to us that the Word has become flesh. And that means, well, what does it mean? Tom Long, he, he gives us what it means. It means that there is no experience so hidden that God's grace cannot find it. There is no soil so sterile that the seed of holy wonder cannot grow in it. There is no movement so dark that it cannot extinguish the light of God, which even now shines in it. There's a lady by the name of Ann Dillard, wrote a book called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. She writes about seeing a mockingbird dive straight down off the roof of a four-story building. It was an act of careless and spontaneous, as careless and spontaneous as the curl of a stem, she wrote. The mockingbird, wings held tightly against the body, descending at 32 feet per second toward the earth, spread its wings at the last possible second and floated to the ground. She came upon this scene as she rounded a corner and no one else saw it except her. She connected the birds alighting to the old philosophical question about the tree falling in the forest. If no one was there to hear it, would it make a sound? The answer must be, said, said Dillard, that beauty and grace are performed whether or not we will sense them. The least we can do is try to be there. Jesus is performing beautiful acts of grace all around our world, and they're being done whether we sense them or not. What we need to try to do is just try to pay attention, see them, because they're going on all around us. I'll close with this story. It's a man, a pastor, a pastor who got an email from a good friend, a former member. It was a, it was a person that he married to her husband years before, and they were the parents of two wonderful teenage girls. And the past summer, this pastor had frequent contact with them because the husband had faced the same surgery that he had undergone, a heart valve replacement. The husband, he always came to church with his wife, but it was pretty clear over the years that he was not much on the whole religion thing. He always sat way back in the back. That was about as close as he wanted to get to communion elements and the altar and the preacher. You know, he, he'd be in the house, but he didn't want to be too close. It's not that he wasn't a religious man. It's just talking about it wasn't his thing. The pastor said he wasn't surprised to hear by email that this man had been asked to be one of the wise men in the annual family Christmas Eve service. You know those Christmas Eve service when the church is full of kids and animals, lights, and candles, songs. He was asked to be a part of it. It was going to have the characters of Mary and Joseph and the wise men gathered at the front of the church. Now, he had been asked many years before to be a part of this. 
because he had that look of a king. He was husky and tall and very regal, but he always turned them down. The pastor imagined it's probably because that was too close to the altar, too close to the pastor, too close to the communion elements, too close to Jesus. He didn't, he didn't want to be that close. But this particular year, the wife was emailing him to let him know that he accepted the invitation. She said that it was her daughter Emily that forced his hand because this is what she told her dad. She said, after all that church, that church, not the building, not, but the people, after all that church has done for you, all the prayers, all the food, all the support and encouragement, the visits in the hospital, the helping mom, the least you could do, Dad, the least you could do is be a king on Christmas Eve. And so he was. The pastor said he, expect he, was, he accepted the invitation for one reason. Emily's conversation was good. But he said he believed the reason why he accepted that invitation that Christmas is because the word became flesh for him. And the word became flesh and it dwelt amongst him and his family through the acts of kindness and love. And it dwelt among them full of grace and truth. I want you to find a piece of paper to your front. It's one for sermon notes. And as they sing this song, and I know I've got y'all up here, just, just stand by. I want you to get a glimpse of the communion elements here. But get you a piece of paper. And as they sing this song, they're going to take us back into a little worship. Why don't you take an take opportunity to write down, just write down, jot down when you saw Jesus. When was the last time you saw him through the people that surrounded you, through the miracles that have overwhelmed you, through the circumstances that was not, that could have been? Write that down as they lead us in this song.